Welcome to the Fullness Church Weekly Podcast. At Fullness, we value the Bible and believe it is critical to teach it clearly, remaining true to its central focus of hearing and living the transforming news about Jesus. Our hope is this teaching will do just that. Well, good morning, everyone. How are we doing? Uh, Aaron, I think you may have to help me here, but we'll... We'll, we'll get things straightened out, just letting you know ahead of time. <clears throat> hey, Cameron, thank you for leading us in worship. Um, you're not going to believe what I'm going to speak on this morning, um, but um, some days you come to preach on a topic, and um, to be honest, I'm going to let you behind the curtain a little bit. Your heart is not there. You know, you're, you're, the very thing you're preaching on is the thing you're struggling with that very morning. Uh, so uh, this morning, I'm preaching on contentment. And um, Cameron, you really, uh, your worship changed my heart. And I just want to uh, say thanks wherever you went um, for uh, your obedience in, in leading us this morning. Take your Bibles, please, and turn to First uh, Timothy chapter 5. First Timothy chapter 5, uh, and for, as most of you know, many of you know, uh, I was out of town for a couple of weeks with a team in Africa, and we had a great time. Thank you so much for your prayers while we were gone. It, it's, it was greatly appreciated. Um, this is our team with Nate and Cheryl. Um, some were working in the hospital. Dave and I were not uh, working in the hospital. We were teaching uh, at a local seminary. Um, the picture on your, um, on your right is a new women and children's uh, wing ward that is being built on the grounds of the hospital. And um, we, we gave a lot of money for this. In other words, our church is, I, I just wanted to show you where your money is going. Uh, 12% of every dollar, so 12 cents on every dollar you give to fullness goes out from this place. It goes to missions, it goes to local ministries, it goes overseas to help people. And part of that is funding the building of this uh, women's and children's center um, that's taking place. And they're also building an entire new hospital, which will take four or five years. This should be done in a couple of months. Uh, It's a stopgap measure, really, for what they need because they're so overwhelmed. Uh, But they're also building a, a huge new hospital for women and children uh, on the grounds next door. But I just wanted to say thank you for your prayers. Thank you for uh, lifting us up and thank you for for your giving. And by the way, that will come back as a theme today, as you're going to see. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, it says this, although I hope to come to you soon, I'm writing you these instructions so that if I'm delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. Paul is writing to his young protege, someone he's mentored, Timothy. He's probably in his early 30s. He's pastoring this this church in Ephesus, this very influential, very important church. Paul is not there, and he's trying to give Timothy specific instructions on how to lead the household of faith how to lead this church, and he's been giving him specific instructions. I want to thank Scott and Gabe for filling in for me while I was gone, and they preached on um, 
I gave, gave the sermon on women in ministry, which he, he's thanked me for many times uh, since then. Uh, did a great job. I would encourage you to listen to that. Um, Scott preached on elders and, and our leadership responsibility. And Gabe preached on, again, last week on discipline within the body of Christ. Discipline in our own lives, really. How to become godly men and women. And we're going to finish out 1 Timothy today. Head into 2 Timothy over the next three weeks. <clears throat> the whole idea from Lamentations where we started this summer to Timothy now is this. We live in broken times. We, I, 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 I don't think, in, if anything, since I've been gone, we've seen times are even more broken. Uh, every day it seems as if things get more and more broken. The question is, how are we going to function, live in broken times? And then, how do we lead in the middle of brokenness? I mean, things are a mess. Things are a mess in the world. Things are a mess in our lives. Things are a mess in the church. How do we lead in broken times? And so, Paul is giving, I think, Timothy uh, an umbrella look at how to do this as a young pastor, a 30-year-old pastor, and specific instructions. And we're, we're, we're... looking at it from a broad perspective. And today, I want to kind of continue on this um, idea and just show you where we're headed. First, I I want to play a a clip for you. I don't know how many of you are basketball fans or not basketball fans, uh, but I I want you to watch. This is like a 10, 15-second clip of Steph Curry. You don't have to be a Steph Curry fan. I don't know why you wouldn't be, but uh, I don't know why. Um, Just watch this clip. And I want you to pay attention to three different shots. This is just the first three shots off of a highlight video of him. One is from half court. One is from just outside the three-point line. And one is a floater from the foul line. For those of you who don't know anything I just said, just watch the video. it right back from half court and it's good a curry moment in boston long distance curry hits the three it's up a main basket they get steph the runner oh. did you get him do you need to see him again okay i'll show him to you again oh and now curry here's the half court right back from half court and it's good here's the one where he a pulls curry back on the three-point line Long distance Curry. Hits the three. Here's one where he hits a floater across the lane. Now, you may be saying, why is he showing us these clips? Hang with me for one second. Steph Curry's a graduate of Davidson, which is in North Carolina. Uh, A little over a year ago, Steph was having his number retired at Davidson. It's a long story. It's a really, it's a great story of his perseverance, but A year ago, last August, he was having his number retired. So he goes to Davidson to have this ceremony. Well, this is in the middle of August. It's off-season. They don't have basketball going on. And my son, my oldest son, is on staff at Davidson as assistant soccer coach at the time. So they let him go into the gym and watch Steph Curry work out. Uh, and he said it was incredibly inspiring to watch a guy who's in off-season 
work out for, I think he said it's, it was like an hour and a half or two hours. He, he, he has this routine that if he doesn't get it all, he starts over again. And he was actually late to his own retirement party because he missed one shot, the last shot, and he started his routine over again in order to do it. So Jared filmed three different um, practices of what Steph Curry was doing. Here they are. Here's the first one. I don't know if you're paying attention, but he is about to back up and hit a shot from half court. Second one, he backs up and hits a three-pointer and then comes in and hits it on the run coming in. Third one, practicing from the lane, hitting floaters. In other words, here's my, here's my thought. We think stuff just happens. We think, oh, he's got so much talent, he just steps out on the court, he's hitting half-court shots, he's hitting shots from outside the three-point line, he's hitting these floaters across the lane. When in fact, during the off-season, he's disciplined enough to practice for two hours in a gym by himself on the day he's getting his number retired. Over the years in church, I've seen two different camps. One is this, just let go and let God. Let go and let God. You know, God's the one who's going to do it all. I really don't have to do anything. It's all about what God's going to do. And I've, been, I've also been in the other camp, which is hold on and tell God what he's going to do. In other words, I don't plan anything. I have no discipline in my life or everything is about the discipline in my life. And I want to say it is the balance of both. Paul is teaching Timothy this, discipline with godliness. It's the power of God, but it's your participation in what God's going to do that will change your life. Things don't just happen. They're not going to happen apart from God, but they're also not, God's going to work in conjunction with what your discipline is in order to accomplish, I think, great things. Now, this is not legalism. Don't fall in the ditch on that side. Please don't hear me saying that. What I'm trying to say is this. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Too many people strive for godliness and no contentment. Other people strive for contentment, but let go of godliness. If you want great gain in your life, here's the verse we're aiming for today. Chapter 6, verse 6. Godliness with contentment is great gain. I could preach on these principles all day. But I want to try and stay faithful to the scripture to say, what is Paul exactly talking about here? And um, so um, I'll get to the punchline in just a second, but just hang on with me uh, if you don't mind. Here's what Paul again says in chapter 3, verse 14. This is how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church. 
Now, we've looked at chapters 1 through 4 up to this point. We're in chapter 5, and I, want to get a, I just want to get a sweeping view of chapter 5 and into chapter 6 to head toward godliness with contentment is great gain so that I can show you what I think Paul is trying to aim for, and then the verses on either side will erase all doubt in your mind about what he's speaking about when we get there. So I'm going to run and start. I'm just going to highlight. You go back and read, okay? Hello? You go back and read chapters 5 and 6 later on. It's, it, these are called household rules kind of thing, the house rules. Paul has given Timothy specific instructions about how to conduct things within the house of faith. And notice the common theme through all of this discussion. I'm going to highlight. I've said that several times. I'm highlighting, which is a reminder to me, don't preach these passages. I'm just highlighting. First thing he talks about is, what do we do with widows in the church? Now, look, notice he spends 13 verses discussing how to handle the situation with all the, the widows that were in within the church. He gives specific instructions on younger widows and older widows and how to honor and who should be taken care of financially. And there's a whole list of uh, the requirements to be put on a list with the idea that older widows will be put on a, a, a list where they'll get support and in turn they'll serve the local church. He says, don't put young widows on there because they may get married. Their hearts may be given to something else. Don't do this. He gets, there's evidently a problem here that he's trying to address. But he gives specific instructions. I encourage you to read it. Then he talks about elders and pastors, overseers, those leading the church. Don't muzzle the ox. The laborer is worthy of his hire. He tells them how to take care of and honor those who are within the church and leading the church. He then talks to slaves and masters. And I know this is an uncomfortable discussion, but think of it as employer, employee, that's a loose, non-offensive, um, hopefully, um, idea. But he's talking about the financial exchange here and how to honor one another uh, in the, the relationship. And then he goes on and talks about false teachers in verses 3 through 5, where he's basically saying, Here's what false teachers are doing. They're trying to take your money. They're, they're, they're trying to do this false teaching so that they have financial gain. And here's the verse that he ends with in chapter 6, verse 5, and talking about how they're dividing the church, they're distorting the truth, and they're trying to gain financially. He says, and constant friction between men of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth, who think that godliness is a means to what? Financial gain. In other words, everything Paul has talked about in chapters 5 and 6 up until this point has had a financial component to it. How to financially care for the widows. How to financially care and honor those who are in your midst. How to... Um, the, the exchange of goods between s slaves and masters, and now that these false teachers are trying to teach falsely because they think that by doing this, there will be a means to financial gain. Next verse. But godliness with contentment is great gain. Wh what is Paul talking about? He's talking about your finances. He's talking about the discontent 
that comes through lack of money. And that what's happened is people are thinking godliness is a sign that you can receive resources and that will cause you to be content. And he's saying, no, godliness with contentment is great gain. Now, if you doubt me, I don't know how you would, but if you doubt me, look at the next verse. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Oh, Americans, listen to this. All you need is food and clothing. Well, what about my big screen TV? What about my car? What about my air conditioning? What about this? This is my contentment. And he's saying food and clothing is, he goes on and says, people who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. So, yes, if you're visiting Fullness today, welcome. This is the day the pastor is preaching on money. Uh, and I want to make it clear, it just happens to be the next passage in the verses that we're, we're looking at. But is it not a topic that we should revisit over and over and over again? Is there anything in your life, really, that keeps you up more at night than the lack of money? As you lay down, for many of us, we start thinking about resources and money and how can I get more and how can things, how am I going to, how am I going to live in this American culture which is so rampant with this desire to receive and be able to say godliness with contentment is great gain because that's where I want to be. I want to be content as well as godly. And so let's look at the points I think Paul is leading us toward in this, which will hopefully help all of us reorient, get a fresh look at this this morning. So the first point is godliness with contentment is gain. If you want to move forward, if you want gain, then let's strive for godliness with contentment. Contentment is this idea that there's a sufficiency. You're not lacking. You've got what you need. The problem that many of us have today is that we live very discontented. There's a story of a king who was suffering from a persistent malady. He just was always discontent, always unhappy, always looking for more. And so his wise men came to him and said, Look, if you will wear the shirt of a contented man, you will be at peace. So his advisors started looking around to find a contented man. They couldn't find anyone locally. They couldn't find anyone in the neighboring cities. They had to go to the far reaches of the kingdom. They finally found a contented man and he had no shirt. 
We always think contentment is going to come by gaining the next thing. Contentment is just around the corner. I just need this one more thing and I'll be content. This is the only thing I need and then I'll be content. But you know what? It says in Ecclesiastes, whoever loves money never has money enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. No matter how much you have, you want just a little bit more. And as a result, you have no gain. Because godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, back in Timothy again, verses 7 and 8. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Now, the Greek word here for contentment is this um, Greek idea of self-sufficiency. All I need is me. Self-sufficiency. But Paul is flipping the term. And he's not talking about self-sufficiency, but rather he's talking about Christ-sufficiency. All I need, I find in him. As a result, I'm content. You see, the idea is this. If you think you lack, you will always be discontent. If your focus is on what you lack, you'll be discontent. It's a simple truth, but it's a truth that has so permeated us. Listen, this afternoon, I'll probably go home and watch some football. Just letting you know, that's my godly afternoon. Uh, I'm probably going to take a nap, watch football. You know, we got an extra hour of sleep last night, but in my life right now, it was just another hour that I was awake in the middle of the night. I had an extra hour of awake in the middle of the night. Uh, but I'll go watch football. And I'm going to tell you, every 10, 5 minutes, I'm going to be bombarded by the lack in my life called commercials. They're going to tell me how much better I would look in this car or in this clothing or eating at this restaurant or bathing with Irish Spring or whatever, whatever the case may be. The constant lack in my life will bombard me and there is no way I can battle it on my own. There is no way that I am strong enough to say this discontent will not jump on me. You're, you're the same. We are constantly being told we lack. And if we want to be complete, then we have to gather. We have to obtain. And this leads to a constant feeling that we're being robbed. And when that happens, we are not gaining. Right? Hello? Can we go back up? I'll do this again. I think this is so important because many of us, we think we're not gaining. Paul says this in Philippians. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content. Hello? Did Paul just happen to be content? I think he learned what it is to be content. 
whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. This is kind of the abounding and abasing uh, theology. I've got plenty, I'm content. I have nothing, I'm content. Why? Because I've learned, again, the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. What is the secret? I can do everything through him who gives me strength. I can learn to be content. I can learn it. Why? Because he gives me the strength to do it. Now, please, here's one thing. I'm, this is a caveat, a side point. Contentment is not the pursuit of poverty. Some people think, oh, I, I, you know, if I'm, I, because I don't want to pursue um, wealth or pursue what I lack, therefore the right idea that I must be learning is this. I'm going to pursue poverty. That's a, this is not a poverty mindset. This is a contentment with what God provides. This is to, to learn to be content whether I'm abounding or the term is abasing. I have nothing. I'm still going to be content because Christ is my sufficiency. Godliness with contentment is gain. Here's what it says in Hebrews. I, there are a lot of verses about this, by the way. I'm just giving you some highlights. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Why? Because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? I can be content. Godliness with contentment is gain. Say it with me. Godliness with contentment is gain. If you don't hear me say anything else this morning, please hang on to this truth. Underline it in your Bible. Try to figure out a way. And again, the principles apply more than just to money, but Paul is speaking specifically here about financial resources. Second point. If godliness with contentment is gain, then greed is loss. Greed is loss. If you want to go backwards, then get greedy. On down in verse 9, he said, People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap. And the many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. When I say loss, I'm not just talking about backing up just a little bit. I'm talking about a trap. I'm talking about destruction. I'm talking about loss. Greed leads us down this path. I don't know if you know this lovely face. This is Sam Bankman-Fried. It's supposed to be. There he is. Sam Bankman-Fried uh, started FTX, a cryptocurrency finance company, at the age of 26. This last week, he was convicted on um, seven, seven different charges, uh, basically of robbing investors of $8 billion worth of resources. At the age of 31, he's facing 110 years in prison. Um, I, I was actually invested in FTX last year, just for a short period of time, before uh, Ben Greer saved me and said, get out, Pastor uh, this is not going well. Uh, and so, uh, but 
Sam Bankman Freed, 31 years old. People would trusted him with billions of dollars. You probably saw the ads in Super Bowls of, hey, join in FTX, get this Coinbase, cryptocurrency, take, take it Tom Brady, Steph Curry, who I showed you earlier. Many other people were uh, promoting FTX. Eight billion dollars in losses. The attorney general for the Southern District of New York said this after Friedman uh, was convicted. He said, the cryptocurrency industry might be new. The players like Bankman Freed might be new. But this kind of fraud, this kind of corruption is as old as time. Why? Because greed leads to loss and destruction. You, it's why we need to guard our hearts, especially in this day and age where greed is all around us because the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have done what? They've wandered away from the faith. They've pierced themselves with many griefs. Paul, when he's talking to Timothy in Ephesus, he's coming against false teachers who are using false teaching to try and have financial gain. But at the same time, I think he's giving Timothy a plan for life, which is this. Look, learn to be content. If you love money, you're going you're gonna to head down roads you don't want to be down. And it's going to lead you to destinations that you shouldn't be. Here's the challenge. I'm going to give you a quote by uh, a Puritan author by the name of Cotton Mather. Um, he, this is from the early days of uh, our country. And what Cotton Mather recognized is this. When people come to faith in Jesus, there is kind of a, it breaks bad habits. It reorients our thinking. It puts them on a good path. And what happens when all of that results? When people break bad habits, they stop spending money on alcohol or they stop giving they start stop gambling or they 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 get a work ethic what happens they actually become prosperous uh, as a result of disciplined faith and here's what cotton mather warns about the church in the second and third generation from that religion begat prosperity and the daughter devoured the mother think about it what happened is prosperity came because of a change in heart, a change in life and following Christ. And what happened? The daughter devoured the mother. It is a warning. And have we not seen how the prosperity doctrine has decimated the gospel? Why? Because prosperity in certain circles becomes their gospel. It leads to loss. Greed is loss. He's going to go on and say, command those who are rich in this present, age, present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope where? In God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. I, I, I love this verse for a number of reasons. One, it comes against arrogance. Are there any more arrogant people generally than those who are rich? 
entitled. Those who claim that they have a sovereign right to speak truth because of their wealth. And at the same time, he's warning us not to put our hope there. That is not where your hope should be. It's uncertain. Do we not know that nowadays? Just watch the stock market right now. It's uncertain. But put your hope in God. But he twists it a little bit to say, God provides us with everything for what reason? Is this not a balanced to you verse? A balanced teaching that Paul has given? Look, don't pursue wealth because it's not where your hope lies. It's not where you should put your trust. That's called idolatry. But at the same time, enjoy what God has given you because that's why he gave it to you. We, our mind, we just, we explode at these kind of balanced truths because we want to fall in the ditch and say, no, no, I'm not, I'm not going to have anything. I'm not going to enjoy anything I have. You know, this, this meal stinks. It was really good, but it stinks. I can't enjoy it. <laughs> Rather than saying, no, this was really, thank you, Lord, for providing this for me. Thank you for all that you've given to our care. Now, Contentment, godliness, gain, right? Greed is loss. So what is our path forward? Here it is. Generosity is your goal. How do we battle this so that we get into a place of health? We become a generous people. I'm going on. I'm still in Timothy, verses 18 and 19. I'm skipping a little bit ahead. I'll come back to some verses in between. He says this, command them to do good. Who Command who? Who's them? Anyone? The rich. Command those who have resources to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life which is truly life. Now, he's saying, when you do these things, I'm going to give you, we're going to look at just three things he gives you real quick. But when you do these things, you're building up not treasure on earth, but treasure for the coming age. I, I, I don't know what that means exactly. What does this treasure look like? How is it going to unfold? What's it going to be revealed in your life? I'm just going to take God at his word and say there's treasure waiting. I don't know what that treasure is because my mind probably can't grasp what that treasure of the future age is. But all I know is... Whatever I'm investing in my 401k cannot match what God's treasure in the coming age is for me. Therefore, I want to learn to be generous. Now, I, I, I also understand the age. I'm not telling you go out from here and be stupid. That's not my goal here today. But my goal is to say that in generosity, there are things of this age that are broken off of us that will attach themselves. And so he says, command them to do good. This is not just some uh, random do-gooder kind of thing. This is specific acts of kindness directed toward those around. Command them to do good. To be rich in good deeds, he goes on and says. Do good, be rich in good deeds. Not rich in what you've obtained, not rich in what you hold on to, but rich in good deeds 
and to be generous and willing to share. We have stories in our church that you have no idea about because of the generosity of some of the people within this church. I mean, they're phenomenal. I, I wish I had permission to share. But their generosity is done in secret. Their generosity, I only happen to know about it because I helped facilitate from one to another, but it was more of like, we just want to bless this person. This person in our church is in need. Let's provide them with, and I'm telling you, unbelievable things that God has done. Unbelievable. Because they weren't willing to hold on to those resources, but instead were willing to say, I'm going to be generous. I'm going to be generous because my brother or sister has a need. The, our church has a need. Our missionaries have a need. Our, our people around the world ministering in the name of Christ have a need. And so I'm going to be generous and willing to share. People, to me, this is what the gospel does in our lives. It breaks it breaks the self-centeredness and self-sufficiency in our hearts and says, it's not about what I get, it's about what I get to give. It's about how God has provided so that with an open hand, I can minister the life to the world around me. And I don't know what this treasure looks like in the days ahead, but praise God I get to participate with his plans and purposes. Frank Gabeline says this, a kind heart as well as a generous hand is demanded of the rich. That's who, I just got back as you know, as I told you at the start from Africa. Go with me on one of these trips and you will realize that every single person in this room is rich. You will see the world from a different perspective. You don't think you're rich because you're comparing yourself with the guy next door or the neighbor down the street or the American ideal. But you go with me to Ethiopia. You go to with me to some country and you will realize I am rich. And it will change the perspective of your heart about what you can do. So, how are we going to battle this? I'm going to give you just a couple of steps forward. I want to make it clear that I took up the offering mid-service so that you won't think I'm manipulating you into giving money now. But then at the end of the service, if you feel guilty and you want to give some money, the plates will still be here. <laughs> but here's the idea. Because I want, I want this for you not for... Um, I don't want to be like the false teacher who's saying, hey, godliness will reap this financial gain. Uh, my desire as your pastor is this. I want you to be free from the love of money. I want you to walk in health. I want you to walk in freedom and understanding that godliness with contentment is gain, greed is loss, and generosity is my goal. So here's the idea. Giving is winning. Not getting is winning. That's the American ideal. Instead, giving is winning. When I get to give, I'm, 
praise God, I'm moving forward. And here's the benefits, I think, of tithing. Now, I know the word tithing, it's fallen on hard times. Uh, it's, 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 not a, it's not a glorious word in some people's minds, but think of giving as a result, giving to the ministry of the gospel. It helps. And the tithe, by the way, I'm not going to teach on tithing, I'm out of time, but tithing is this, it comes off the top. In other words, it's not what I have left over. It's what I, it's what I give to the work of God's kingdom from the very start. Right? I know it's 10%. You can make up your own percentage. If you want to disagree with me, you say it's so Old Testament and I want to be New Testament. Well, let me just say this. If the gospel of grace is bigger than the gospel of the law, then 10% should be a minimum to me uh, because we're, we're grace-oriented and we're giving more. That's just me. You can take it or leave it. But what, what taking off the top and giving to the work of God helps do is this. It helps me fight against the love of money. You've got this love of money thing going on in your heart. You don't know it. It's crept up on you. It's part of the American culture, and it's going to help you fight that. It's, all going, it's going to help you start being generous. Honestly, I, my, my parents were an amazing example to me. My parents really, <laughs> I used to laugh with my dad and mom and, because they always were giving stuff away. Always. And honestly, there reached a point in my life where I'm like, you know what? The stuff they're giving away, that's my stuff. <laughs> they're giving away my inheritance. They're giving away my stuff for the future. And it didn't slow them down one bit. And so I finally said to my dad, once God broke some things out of my heart, I said, Dad, listen, give it all away. Give it all away. Leave me with nothing. Just don't leave me with any debt. That's the only thing I'm asking. Don't leave me in a hole. And he did. He gave it all away. By the time he died, we, it was, it, and I look at my dad and mom's legacy around the world, giving to missions, giving to people who ministered the gospel. I, I think even today, in their deaths, they're, the treasure built up for them in heaven, the people they are meeting who they invested in and the gospel went forward is, un, you can't imagine but you got to start somewhere in being generous. It helps me keep God first in my priorities. Because if you're not, we know the spirit of idolatry when it comes to money will jump on us. And we need to keep God first in our priorities. And it helps me trust God for all I need. Ultimately, if you trust your resources, that's what you're going to trust in. And that's what leads to idolatry. Godliness with contentment, great game. And that's what I want for us. I want for you. I want for me. I want for my children, my grandchildren. The generations that follow is that they fight greed. They go for godliness with contentment by being a generous people. Here's what Paul, in the middle of this, says to Timothy. Almost his final instructions. And I think a lot of this has to do with resources. I kind of skipped from 6, um, verse 6 through 10, down to like verse 17. But here's what he says in the middle. He says, but you, man of God, flee from all this. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. 
Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. In the sight of God who gives life to everything and of Christ Jesus, who while testifying before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in his own time. God the blessed and only Father the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see, to him be honor and might forever. Lord, we thank you. We pray that this morning that we will, we will be a people who realize that it's godliness with contentment. Lord, forgive us for our discontent. Forgive us for our greed. Forgive us for our desire to just get more. And instead, Lord, I pray that we'll be a generous, loving, gracious people. Thank you for joining us today. We hope this teaching blessed you. If you ever find yourself in the Birmingham, Alabama area, come check us out. For more information, please visit fullness.life.